get restless welcome back to the restless show here we are young adults trying to find our way through young adulthood and live as faithful catholics in this crazy mixed up world i'm father joseph gill priest of the diocese of bridgeport connecticut and you've joined us here with lauren javier and diane you know a uh, a couple months ago there was a very prominent catholic couple uh, named the quigleys um, and they came out very publicly and said that they decided they were going to leave the catholic church and so today we, I'd love to talk about, you know, why bother staying Catholic? Because I think they had some very valid um, beefs with the Catholic Church. They brought up the fact of the scandals, um, how leadership has not always lived exemplary lives and how they could be good Catholics. And, and also how they saw hypocrisy just in the everyday Catholic, how people would go to church on Sunday and then live as a pagan for the rest of the week. So with all of that in the Catholic Church, why should we bother remaining Catholic? With all of that, Javier, you said you had uh, a story to share about this. Yes, uh, that that it was interesting that you were uh, sharing that before we got on the air, because that's that's exactly what did it for me. That's exactly as aside from spending time in adoration and spending time with the Eucharist, and but that's exactly what did it for me. I felt this strong call from the Lord to do something about the things that are going on in the church. So what did it for you to leave the church or to come to back? To come back, to come back to the church. I think as we spoke in the intro episode, uh, uh, I, I left to go to uh, an evangelical church and I I was there for years. And then uh, when I came back to, I say when I came back to the Catholic church, in the process of coming back to the Catholic church, I think it was that strong call that I felt during adoration um, as I was kneeling in front of the monstrance and, and praying and uh, and almost in tears about everything that was going on in the church and in our church, the people, you know, like how they weren't growing in their faith, but not, not, not because the church is doing anything wrong, but just because they're blaming um, every everything that's going on in the church and, and they're talking about that and, and not using that to not come to mass, using that to not grow in their faith and using that to just be Kind of like you said, you know, those Catholics that, that go to Mass and then they're pagans in the weekends and so, or during the week. And, and I was in tears. I was in tears and I felt a strong call from the Lord. And I, I, don't, I don't really know what it is. Uh, we've had a couple meetings. We've talked about things that we as Catholics can do um, to dive into our spiritual gifts, to, to, to do the things that the Lord is calling us to, to, to help our church, you know. So um, the desire to re reform from within. Yes, yes. And, and whether that's just our parish, or whether that's bigger and starting a, an organization that grows a little bit bigger than that, um, I think we're all called. We see that there's something going on in our church. And I think as Catholics who are in love with our church, we are called to do something. We're called to help. We're called to um, to help bring those people that are within, still in the Catholic church to bring them closer to the faith. Mm, yeah. And that, that was the call that I felt. And I, I, I'm almost getting tearful just talking about it right now. <laughs> well, Diane, have you heard kind of people use this as, as an excuse to kind of walk away from the church? Yeah, I definitely have heard, you know, the scandals is one of the biggest things. Um, but I mean, as a response to that, I mean, I guess you would just say that the church was established by Christ. And honestly, like from the beginning, there was a what? Um, 
8% failure rate. I mean, Judas, you know? Um, so it's never been perfect. It never will be perfect. But we're promised that the, um, you know, the gates of hell, nothing will nothing will break the church. So um, I just, I don't think that you can look at the people because no one is, no one is perfect. No one is holy. No one will be holy uh, or perfect in this life. So um, I don't know. I don't think that you can judge a religion based on, participants i guess yeah the failures of the participants yeah because we've also had saints mm-hmm. you know and we still continue to have saints do you guys know any like people you would consider living saints living saints i was yeah. thinking about I, mother Teresa, but she's already passed she's <laughs> she's not living sorry <laughs> no um I, mean, I can certainly i can certainly think of a number of living saints yeah. Here's a yeah. Here's a, a wild story. Um, when I was over at a different parish here in Stanford, there was a young boy by the name of Christopher who just loved Christ so much and just loved him, and he begged me and begged me to receive Holy Communion a year early. So I, I granted it, and in first grade he received Holy Communion, and then he started to beg and beg me to be an altar server. And at that time we only allowed fourth graders and up, but you know he was so insistent that finally I was like, all right, even though you're in second grade, you can become an altar server. So I trained him to be an altar server. And afterwards, he was putting everything away after the training. And I was talking with his mom. And his mom told me this amazing story that she had been reading to Christopher the the life of St. John Vianney. And St. John Vianney had many encounters with Satan. And Satan would often show up and light his bed on fire. Satan would show up as as wolves and and horrible uh, noises in the middle of the night. And one time, Satan showed up to St. John Vianney and said to him, if there were three priests as holy as you in this world, my kingdom would be broken. And when she got to this point in telling young Christopher this story, Christopher started to cry. And the mom's like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? And Christopher said, I'm just sad that there's only been one person that holy in the history of the world. I want to be the second. Mm-hmm. And I was deeply moved. And I said to Christopher, pray for me that I may be the third. Aww. Because there is definitely living saints. There are people who really love Christ a great deal. Some of the simple people that come to daily mass. You know, and when I get frustrated with the you know, hypocrisy within the church, I look at those people and I'm like, yeah, they love Christ. That, yeah. that keeps me going. For sure. And all three of you guys. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one thing we need to, we need to keep in perspective is that the, the, the scandals and everything, that is a small number. It is a very, very small number of church leaders in our church. And yet... Somehow, you know, that's the image that the church gets. But I think, a, and then this this goes to our listeners that might not really think about this so much, but it is something that we need to keep in perspective. It is a small number. And we are so many. Mm. We are so many and we could do so much. We could do so much for our church and with the Lord. I mean, I can do all things through, through, through Christ who gives me strength. And there's so many people that tell me like, you know, I, I'm so busy with work. I'm busy with this, I'm busy with that. I'm like, the Lord is so busy with the whole world, yet he's got time for you. Amen. Don't you Amen. have time to do something, to, you know, to to start a podcast, to, to <laughs> <laughs> sure, spend we got time that. in Might adoration. Well. <laughs> I mean, stand, spend time in prayer. I think sometimes we underestimate the power of prayer. Yeah. You know, we underestimate the power of prayer and uh, we forget, um, you know, how the church was founded and on our, uh, you know, if you read the book of Acts and stuff and what they they prayed so much. They prayed daily. They 
They invoked the Holy Spirit. They asked for the Holy Spirit to come in their hearts daily. There's this great scene from Acts of the Apostles where they prayed so much that the building shook. Amen. Yes. You know, and I think what a great symbol of if we started praying that intensely, the church can shake with the fervor of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. You know, let that come. Let that come. Yeah. And I, th I think we lose track of, of that. We have to have faithful prayers. Yeah. I think we like that. Lauren, what is it that, that's kept you Catholic? whole time i think my whole life i've just known that the catholic faith is the true faith and i can remember elementary school age maybe being in church and thinking like i know there are all these other faiths and other you know protestant had a vague understanding that there were all these other things and i would just sit there and be like but i'm in the right faith i don't know why i even knew that right or why i thought that i just mm. it was very strong for me since a very young age before i even was taught anything you know that like diane said our faith is created by Jesus Christ himself, right? He taught us the way. He instituted the Eucharist, right? Mm -hmm. He chose Peter as the first pope. All of that is astonishing to me, like that I learned that as, you know, once I got older, like it came from Jesus, directly from him. It didn't come from somebody who thought they were holy or whatever, and it's passed down. It's straight from Jesus Christ himself, which is just amazing, and it speaks to the truth of it. So for me, um, nothing that any individual does or even a group of people would ever do um, could turn me away from the truth in our faith. Amen. Amen, Lauren. That's, yeah, so true. Yeah, I think, I mean, Lauren, I, I definitely relate to that. And um, for me, I think we did a Bible study last year on Bible timeline and just seeing how sort of everything, um, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the old. I mean, it's not, these aren't like, you know, pie in the sky type of things. You you look you look back to the source, um, and you can you. I mean, we don't understand everything. It requires faith, but everything makes sense. Everything you know, it's it's foretold. It's it's fulfilled, and it's really amazing as you grow in your faith to um, to kind of see that unfold before your eyes. So I just think that gives credence to it. But like Lauren said too, I always just had this inner sense that. This was the truth. Thanks, Diane. So, so Diane and Lauren, I know Javier shared that he he did leave the church for a while. Have you guys ever been tempted to to leave? The only thing that's tempted me is to skip mass, you know, here and there, and we certainly fell into like, why do I have to go, you know, every week? And I also had this sense like. I've given myself to God, I'd say, since I was a small kid. Like, I've always been Catholic. I've always been a believer. So in that sense, I felt like I'm good, you know? Like, it's okay <laughs> that I don't always go. And mm -hmm. I'm still, um, I think, growing in that spiritually to recognize, you know, it's for my benefit that I'm there, right? And God wants me there. And the more that I give, the more I get, you know? It's yeah. not just like checking off the box, like, yep, okay, I went to church, went to church, went to church. It's much deeper and more true and more fulfilling than that. Yeah. And it's why we go to Mass. We go to Mass to worship the Lord, and the heart of worship is sacrifice. And sometimes that, that requires sacrifice. I think some days we go to Mass and we uh, we feel this call from the Lord and we just really want to go, and then there's some other days where something is going on. So some big event is going on, and you you know you got to go to Mass. You know, you have to go to Mass, so it is a sacrifice. Yeah. But you are worshiping the Lord, and you're sacrificing that time that you could be spending doing something else but then you remember that the lord paid the ultimate sacrifice for us and our sacrifice is pale in comparison yeah. to everything he did for us there's 168 hours in the week 
God asks for one Amen. bare minimum. You know, it's like, that's not uh, a whole lot. Unless you go to traditional mass and then it's a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. And it just seems like most people just kind of write it off. Like they just don't need it. And as you said, um, that family left because of all the hypocrites. And I think that's very true, right? I mean, I even think now about how there's so many people that you see going to receive communion every week, right? The majority of people, right, are going up to receive communion. And yet, like I know from my home parish at St. Catherine's, the times for confession is one hour on Saturday. And I've started to go to that more regularly. And I've seen like one other guy, you know, right? So I just kind of doubt that everybody <laughs> is confessing. Right, yeah. but yet they're still going to communion, so it's kind of, sure. there is that hypocrisy. Uh, but I also think there's unfortunately been like a lack of proper education and a lack of accountability. Like once mm-hmm. I was taught, and this was only a couple of years ago, that I was taught it's sacrilegious to go up to communion when you're in a state of mortal sin. I didn't mm. know that, so I did that plenty in my life uh, for missing mass or whatever in college and not going to confession and then returning and receiving communion. Um, and I was almost kind of angry like with the priests that they're always giving out communion and it's never even mentioned, right? Mm. Like even let's say on Easter or Christmas, like, or Ash Wednesday, like the yeah. big days, maybe a little like warning, like, Hey, you know, if you're you haven't <laughs> you been here in a while, <laughs> and a while. You hadn't, yeah, received your penance, maybe you should sit back during communion. I don't know. That's something that I've felt. What, what do you think about that father? I agree. It's, it's, mm. it's almost a, a, dark humor that after Ash Wednesday Mass or Easter Mass, we'll come back to the sacristy and I'll say to the other priests, I think I gave out three First Communions today. Mm. You know, guests visiting who clearly don't know what they're doing. You know? yeah. And you see different different styles of, of not knowing. And they come up and body of Christ, uh, you know, no response or anything like that. And, you know, I try not to judge. And, and there's times where, you know, I've certainly at weddings and funerals, I try to make an announcement and say, you know, if you haven't been to mass in a while, you just come up with your arms crossed across your chest for a blessing. Yeah, and that's a very graceful way to say that, right? Like no one should, I don't know, be offended because you make that announcement. But it also is a teaching moment, I think, for people that may not realize. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is a short episode, so I won't go too much into this. But what I will say to our listeners is, dive in, because there is so much to learn about our faith, yeah. so much to learn about the Catholic faith. Uh, ever since I came back, I have been diving in deep. And man, oh man, I, I could spend months and months and months. And there's just so much beauty and so much more to learn. Absolutely. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in a, a, just a short jiffy as we talk more, about, <laughs> talk more about the church. Thanks for joining us. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. And welcome back to Restless. Thanks for joining us. We've been having a great conversation about why should we stay Catholic, especially in today's world when a lot of uh, millennials, a lot of our generation has chosen to leave the church? And scandals are one reason, but there's definitely a lot of other reasons. In fact, uh, a recent study said that millennials, 40% of millennials 
consider themselves as having no religion. 40%, that's actually a lot of people, you know, four out of 10. And what do you guys hear from your peers as to reasons why? Okay, so we talked about the scandals, but what other reasons have drawn people away? Diane? I think one of the biggest ones that I hear and actually see on a lot of like dating apps is spiritual, not religious. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking and- the same thing. I see that constantly. <laughs> I actually want to write like on my own, I think, what does it mean, right? When you say spiritual, but not religious, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I just think it's, it's basically, I mean, it's a form of idolatry. Um, you know, you're, you're essentially saying that, um, I'm going to worship God in the way that I see fit, the way that I want to do it. Um, I don't need to follow any of these rules. I don't need to listen to how he, you know, asks me to worship him. I'm just going to, you know, God is there. God is love. God loves me. I'm good. Um, I don't need religion. But it's like, where do you get those ideas? Like, what is your teaching authority? What? um, It just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people misunderstand the, the story of the golden calf in Exodus. Because when they crafted the golden calf, the Israelites were absolutely convinced that they were worshiping Yahweh, Mm -hmm. that they were worshiping the true God of Israel, but they weren't worshiping God in the way he wanted to be worshiped. And that was the issue, is that wrong worship. In fact, the word orthodoxy literally means from two Greek words, orthos, which is right or correct, and doxa, which is glory. It's like giving God the right kind of glory, the way that he wants to be worshiped. And when Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me, he's telling us how to worship him. He says, come to the mm. Eucharist. Come to the Eucharist. I have to make a confession on air. Uh, for about two weeks as a teenager, I stopped going to the Catholic Church and started going to uh, Protestant churches. For just two weeks. Because I, honestly, I was just kind of curious. I wanted to see what it was like. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So what were these churches that you went to? Um, my friend's Lutheran church and then my other friend's Methodist church. And uh, when I walked in, you know, the pastor of the Lutheran church gave me a gigantic hug, even though he had <laughs> never seen me before. And in the Methodist church, I walk in, they're like, maybe it's because only like, you know, 80 people show up at their services, but they're like, you're new. We love you. Wow. <laughs> the welcome. What's your name? The welcome. But they all sang. The preaching was good. I was like, whoa, I, I like that. Like good preaching, good music, but no Eucharist. Mm. And I felt that ache after two weeks. I was like, I can't do this. I need the Eucharist. Well, that's know? amazing that you knew that as a young person, right? Because we also know that most Catholics don't actually believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. Yes. Right? Those are like walking adults. And you were a teenager and you knew that truth already. I wonder if some people know what kind of Maybe not intellectually, but deep in the heart, there's a hunger. Maybe. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's an easy thing. Like, I know that it is, right? Body, um, blood, soul, and divinity. But I still will stare at it. And I've prayed, too, like, for a sign. Um, you know, in RCIA last year, which I sat in, and, and you taught some of the classes, you shared um, Eucharistic miracles, and I was amazed, right, to learn that the, the communion host can start to bleed and, and all these kinds of things. So I've sat in front of it at times and asked for it to start bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm like, no, Lauren, you don't need that. You know what I mean? But Have you have seen it? No, no. Okay. <laughs> but it could happen, right? I do Absolutely. have the faith and the belief that it, it's not impossible. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it is. I can understand how it's a hard thing. And, and another thing that 
has bothered me is that I feel like in church when we go up to receive it, I don't always feel like there's reverence, right? It just kind of feels like one of the many moments. It's not any more mm. special. I mean, certain people I've started to see at St. John's, right? They'll kneel and they'll bow and, you know, individuals will do it. But as far as like the whole community, it's just, okay, this is the next thing we're doing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, it, sure. I mean, heaven is opened up, right? And, and God is truly there, but we are just kind of walking around like, oh, 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 oh okay, yeah. got it back to my seat. That's it. Mm. And that's why I think one of the biggest blessings of this pandemic that we've been in is um, to not have had the Eucharist readily available. I know for myself, um, there's definitely been times just going to daily mass. You kind of just, you get used to it and you take it for granted. And when you can't have the Eucharist, you do feel no matter how much you do of listening to virtual mass and participating in virtual mass and, um, you know, it's just this hole in your heart that can't be filled until you receive the Eucharist again. So that homecoming of like receiving the Eucharist for the first time when churches were reopened, I mean, that was one of the best days of my life. Like I, you're right, Lauren, like the, the power of the Eucharist is just no matter what homily you hear, or I don't know what they're called at Protestant churches, but um, yeah, sermons. Sermons. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how good the music is, no matter how good the sermon is, the Eucharist is missing, and that's everything. So, yeah. you know, you shared the first day when we came back, but I'd like to share the the last day that we had when we all went to uh, daily mass together. I remember um, that was when I was just coming back. It was the last day before the shutdown. Yeah, of the, the last pandemic. day before the shutdown. You you were offering mass. That you were saying mass that day, and. Um, I just remember receiving the Eucharist and, and just crying, crying because I hadn't received the Eucharist in so long. I was just now starting to receive the Eucharist again, and now it's going to be taken away from me. Mm. And you can't, you can't get that feeling. You, you can't get that feeling in your heart unless that comes straight from the Lord. Mm. Unless what you're receiving is really the the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get that. You just can't get that. Otherwise, it's just a piece of bread. Did you guys find that your your hunger for the Eucharist grew through the yes, the yes. absence? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, one hundred percent. I think that may be one reason why the Lord allowed it to happen. Yes. Yeah. I'd also like to share. I, th- I was very convicted of how much I actually believed in the true presence when we were doing the outdoor, um, uh, you know, distribution and distribution of the Eucharist. Um, the wind was blowing and stuff, and the, the hosts were falling. And um, I just remember one of my brothers that I run with, um, he, the tears that were in his eyes, the last, the last one we had before we all went back into church. Um, and he said, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't be an usher anymore. And I was like, why? He was like, I just can't take it. I can't take it. I can't see another host fall on the ground. Yeah, we, had, we ended up doing our... Uh, our- distribution of Holy Communion on the sixth floor of a parking garage because we don't have a parking lot here. And the wind up there was very strong. Yeah. And every every Sunday, the Eucharistic host would fly out of my hand and across yeah. the parking lot. And just seeing and, yeah. seeing the tears in his eyes and the way that he put his palms down on the ground and was picking up mostly dirt and licking his hands. When the Eucharist fell, yeah. Yes, that to me was like, ah. Oh, the real belief. Oh, me of little faith. Like I don't have that faith and it convicted me and 
I I just wanted to confess that because it it made me believe even more in the in the if there's a if there's a way to believe even more in the presence. Yeah, which you know, I think going back to one of Lauren's points is that people need to be taught, and that's why forty percent of millennials perhaps have no faith and no religion is that they right. were never taught, and they and going to Diane's point, there there may not there wasn't that external f- sense of reverence and worship mm. at mass. You know, it was seen as almost just you're in a line to get a ticket for something instead of the God of the universe is coming into you. Because if you really do believe in the real presence of Christ, how could you leave him? Yeah. You know, that's, of course, at, at the very end of John chapter six, after Jesus reveals his, his uh, Eucharistic teaching and everyone turns to leave, he turns to his apostles and he says, are you going to leave me too? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And, and that's no matter what else happens in the church, what scandals, what bad preaching, what horrendous music, unfriendly parishioners, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Your body and blood and your scriptures are the words of everlasting life. Amen. You know? So Pope Benedict um, was a very wise man, and he, he kind of predicted back in, I think it was the 1990s, that the church of the future would be much smaller but stronger. You know, and, and then a lot, of people, a lot of people would leave. Do you guys think that that's a, a good thing, a bad thing? What's your reaction to, to that, the realization now of his prophecy of that? It's sad. It's very sad. Because the smaller it is, the less souls that are going to go to heaven or that have that opportunity to go to heaven. And it is very sad. Um, I pray for a church that is huge and strong. <laughs> and I know that 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 might be you know um, that's not what we have right now. But again, the power of prayer, um, and it's not just you know the Lord calls us to pray and the Lord calls us to action and to do something. But to answer your question, sadness is what I feel. As soon as you said that, sadness is what came to my heart. Mm. Yeah, not in Diane. Um, I mean, I I definitely think that. Sometimes it takes a little breaking down in order to build back up as well. So in the sense that, you know, if we have so many people who are surface level and not really Catholic in name only, sort of not believing, if you have a smaller, I guess, remnant, um, you know, there there might be a rebuilding time period. But I think at the end of the day, that could give uh, birth to a lot of reform, necessary reform, um, stronger family life, and then you sort of have the fruit of that. Um, um, further on. I don't think it's a cop-out either. You know, I don't think that it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we're still called to evangelize. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that it has to be a small, you know, we're all called to, to bring people back to the faith and honestly to help people to have a, not live at the surface level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I hear that quote, I think that in terms of souls, of course, we want every soul to come to Christ through the church. But I think it's good to kind of prune some of our institutions that perhaps we have too many of, too many parishes, too many schools that aren't bearing fruit. Right. The, uh, I was chaplain at a local Catholic high school here in Stanford for three years, Trinity Catholic High School, which just shut down uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was great sadness for a lot of people. Um, but I can tell you that it wasn't a disciple-making factory. You know, right. And so there wasn't much sadness in your heart. 
No, there was, well, I mean, there was a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> I had great memories. I loved being there for three years. Um, you know, but kids didn't necessarily come out of there more on fire with love for Christ. So I think God is doing a pruning of some of our institutions. Yeah. You know. And what I think is promising, right, is that it's stronger, right? Smaller, but stronger. So if that means that those that are in the faith can go deeper, right, and have more of a connection with others, that's a beautiful thing. And that's what I think um, a smaller church will yield, right? You can form a tighter bond, get to know each other better. And I think that we have that going on here at St. John's, right? I, th I think there is a family here and um, lots of people know each other and there's um, a ton of great Catholic families and different people host things, right? Like in the fall, we had women wine in the divine, something that you started, but <laughs> Did a little wine and cheese night with the adoration. Yeah, women no, but wine it, in the divine. it was beautiful it was because it was young women like myself, younger than me up to whatever age. Um, and it was hosted in a local parishioner's home, which is also beautiful. Right. So I think that's part of that smaller, right. But stronger. Yeah. And John Paul II said that there would be a new springtime of the church. And springtime always comes after winter. So we keep that in mind. We're maybe seeing the winter now, but like things like that are sprouts. And I think that those of us that keep the faith and stay, we are paving the way. We may not see it, right? Like in my case, I can certainly say most of my friends are not religious. And if I probably say anything, I might make somebody uncomfortable. Mm. But I think at a certain point, at some future moment in their life or at the end of time, they might think back to what I said or or whatever it might yeah. be, and that might help give them grace to find God again. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, it was a great discussion. We talked about the church, why people leave the church, and why we should stay. The Eucharist and the great work that the Holy Spirit is still doing in our hearts and to, to bring souls to heaven. That'll do it this week for Restless. Uh, come join us next week. We're on the radio at 1350 AM, Veritas Catholic Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And find us also on Facebook and on YouTube. Have a great week, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.